The reading today is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 35 to 58, and that can be found on page 1155. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but... We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord.
There we go. I'm on. Yep, excellent. Good morning, everyone. My name's um, Dave or David or whatever. Uh, if I haven't met you before, it really is uh, great to be here this morning. We've got a profound passage, a bit of a long one, but a profound passage in front of us this morning. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some insights and looking forward to seeing what God's going to reveal to us this morning. But as always, I think we need God's help to reveal what He wants to teach us. So let's pray, hey? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us in the dark with no idea of how to live this life and no idea what's ahead. But you've given us hope. And that hope has a name. And that is Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Apply to us what you want us to to hear this morning to our minds and our hearts and our will. Encourage us with your truth this morning. Feed us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this season of The Block has really hooked me. I don't know, maybe you watch it. Uh, If you don't know it, it's a reality TV show where sort of four or five couples get a house or an apartment to completely renovate in a short amount of time. Usually it's sort of about 10 weeks. And usually these places start out as horrible, derelict, ready-to-be-condemned homes. They're quite foul. And their job is to transform these pretty, you know, awful, ready-to-be-condemned homes into something beautiful that someone would pay top dollar for. Well, this season, it just finished up. My wife and I were pretty hooked. Um, This season, five couples tackled an absolute eyesore in the south of Melbourne. It looked like that to begin with. They called it the Blocktagon. It was an old dodgy motel with a pretty sketchy past. But by the end of the 10 weeks or so, the couples had really done a fantastic job. Ended up looking like that. The winning apartment sold for about $2.3 million, I think. Not bad. Now, I love being able to see the progress week to week. Yeah, I love tuning in and seeing how the couples have gone, seeing a room starting out looking like that, and by the end of the seven days, amazingly, turn into something like that. I love seeing this ready-to-be-condemned home turn into something beautiful, a modern home that I would love to live in. And I'm not the only one. The show's really popular. Another reality TV show that focuses on the transformation of bodies rather than homes is The Biggest Loser. Some of you guys probably know this one too. Uh, It's a show about people, you know, kind of overweight and trying to transform themselves into super fit bodies with the help of very super fit personal trainers. And often the transformation can be pretty awesome to see, kind of, particularly on the last episode, that the change can be quite astounding. You know, you get to see people go from this to this, this to this, and this to this. That's actually a picture of me on the right there. Um, But it's quite cool, isn't it? You know, I, I think a lot of us, we love this idea of metamorphosis, don't we? You know, I love it. I even love movie montages. You know, that bit in movies is sort of three or four minutes long. It's got inspirational music in the background. And you see sort of a time lapse of someone's life. You see Rocky, unfit, but he's training, getting ready. And by the end of the movie montage, he's ready to fight the Russian. You kind of, what about the karate kid? You know, he starts out as this weakling beaten up by bullies. But with Mr. Miyagi's help, by the end of that montage, he's a karate legend. In many of us, we love this idea of, of change, of renovation, revitalization, transformation. There's just there's something about it, isn't there? Well, today, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about, transformation. 
we're going to be exploring this idea of our own physical bodies being completely transformed, but not in a biggest loser kind of way, but rather a complete transformation from earthly bodies to heavenly bodies. And all of this is importantly tied up with the hope Christians have for the next life. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series, Rise, and we're looking at the importance of Jesus' resurrection and our own, the reality of our own coming resurrection. And today we're going to be exploring, well, what's that going to look like? What might it look like for those people who are in Christ to have new bodies in the new creation? Well, we're going to discover that we are in need of transformation. So we're going to explore this concept by looking at a couple of questions, okay? So firstly, what will our new bodies be like? What are they going to be like? Secondly, why do we need them? Why do we need new bodies? And thirdly, and hopefully we get to spend a good chunk of time on this, why this transforms everything. That sounds pretty exciting. Well, let's get going with our first point. Hey, what will our new bodies be like? Well, let's have a look at verse 1. It's on the screen or in the Bibles in front of you. We're looking at uh, verse 35. Let's have a look. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. Okay, so we can see... Paul, the writer of this letter, he's preempting our question already, isn't he? I mean, Paul's explaining the importance of Jesus' resurrection and our own. And then he's assuming a common question he would have heard before. Well, okay, how's it going to work? Tell me what our bodies will be like then. And then he says, how foolish. It kind of seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's a, a, you know, a question I'd like the answer to. I just want to press pause really quickly here. And, and just, I feel like I want to say that... Um, please feel completely free to ask questions, okay? Uh, in fact, you know, please ask questions. If, if people are telling you you can't ask questions, you're probably in a cult, okay? So we want you to just absolutely feel free to ask questions, particularly with matters concerning faith. We want you to ask questions. Often I find that's the only way I learn. But I reckon it's important for us to remember to, you know, watch our attitude. We don't want to ask questions just to pick an argument, to start a fight, you know, we, we want to seek answers to our questions with humility, don't we? And what, what's happening here is the questions being asked um, with a kind of annoying cynicism. See, Paul takes a bit of a harsh tone because of the cynical nature of the question. Now, the Corinthians are people who are receiving this letter and reading it firstly. They're typical ancient Greek thinkers. And they say, okay, Paul, we get you. There's going to be a resurrection. All right. But you can't tell me it's going to be physical. No way. We see that body go in the ground. We know that it decays, that it decomposes. There's no way that body can be raised again. Uh-uh. Now, Paul concedes, yet for that to happen, a miracle needs to take place. And the thing is, you can't give a blueprint for a miracle, can you? You can't give a, a, draw a diagram for a miracle, give exact sort of specifications for a miracle. So instead of doing that, which is kind of impossible, Paul gives us a cracking illustration from nature instead. Let's have a look at verse 37. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Now, I have to admit, um, I don't really have a green thumb. 
Uh, I've gotten into gardening because of uh, my mother-in-law's urgings. She's seen the disarray my garden's in and she's been encouraging me to get into the garden. So I'm a reluctant gardener. I don't love it. So it took me a little while to work out what Paul was talking about. But he's just got two little things he's saying here about seeds. First thing is, a seed can't come to life unless it leaves the plant, right? Unless the plant dispels it, unless it dies and is buried in the ground. It can't come to life unless that happens. And he's also saying that the, uh, the, the seed you put in the soil is really different from the plant it becomes. Here's a picture of a, a tulip bulb. How ugly is that? It's really ugly. That's, that's the seed of the flower tulip, right? How ugly is that? Now, you would never guess that this ugly thing would turn into this, would you? Just by looking at that tulip bulb. Now, here's a picture of a tomato seed, right? You would never guess what a tomato looks like by looking at a tomato seed, would you? What we plant in the soil and what grows up out of the soil, they don't look anything alike. And it's the same with our new bodies, with our resurrection bodies. The earthly body, the body that, that is buried in the ground when it dies, like the seed, and the body that is raised at the resurrection, they're going to be really different, dramatically different. So there's going to be a whole lot of difference between our current bodies and our new bodies. But there's also going to be some sameness, some continuity. You see, if you plant a tulip bulb, you don't harvest a whale, do you? Or if you plant a tomato seed, you don't harvest a toucan. It doesn't happen. See, the seed holds the promise of the plant that will be. Our current earthly bodies hold the promise of our new bodies. Now, so what? Right? What can we learn from this? Well, we retain our identity in the new creation. So this means we won't be anonymous, disembodied spirits kind of floating around some nether region, hanging out with fat baby angels playing harps. You know, it's it's, it's not going to happen. We'll be in a real place. We'll be real people. There'll be food and drink, music, laughter... We'll have real bodies and we'll be ourselves, a much better version of ourselves. I mean, we'll be able to recognize each other. Have you thought about that? We'll be able to recognize each other. You Imagine going up to someone you've known and say, oh, look at you. You look amazing. You know, I saw glimpses of this before, but now, wow. Jesus, after his resurrection, he could uh, be recognized as the crucified one. Remember, he, had, he still had scars on his hands, feet, and side, didn't he? And he ate. So there was some um, continuity, some sameness there. But he was also released into a quality of life that was unshackled by mortality and the finiteness of time. Yeah, he could move between walls. He could turn up different places. And he ascended to heaven, right? So there's some, some discontinuity, some difference there. Now, Paul preempts another question in verse 38. Let's have a look together. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. Now, what's he going on about? What's he talking about? Well, Paul's saying 
You don't believe God can do this? You have doubts? You don't believe it? Okay. You don't believe God can give you a new resurrection body? Well, look around you. I mean, look at creation. He is the king of creativity, the king of giving things new bodies. I mean, look at all the different types of fish. Bruce can tell you probably most of them. I mean, look at the different types of birds. How many are there? Look at the different types of animals. If that doesn't satisfy you, wait till it gets dark and look up. Use a telescope. Look at all the stars and the planets. God has given all of those things their unique physical body. And he can take care of your new body for the new creation. Okay, so that's our first point. What are our bodies going to be like? Well, they're going to be the same but different. And if you don't think God can do it, then... Just look around you at the king of creation. Okay, let's have a look at our second point. Well, why do we need them? Why do we need new bodies? Well, we need new bodies because our earthly bodies, they're made for this world, not the next. And these earthly bodies are just incapable of coping with the glory of God and the life that is to come. They're okay for this life, but totally inadequate for the next. I reckon the difference between our earthly bodies and and our new bodies... It's about the same as the difference between kids' cars and real cars. Now, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and they love kind of driving around in something like this, a little tyke's car. They love playing with this. That is when they're not fighting over whose turn it is. They, they generally enjoy playing with this little tyke's car. They love sort of putting around, beep, beep, you know, make-believe, driving around. They think it's really fun. But it's only good for a time, isn't it? I mean, eventually, they're going to need a real car, aren't they? I mean, every adult needs a real car. I mean, can you imagine trying to commute to work in that, in a little tyke's car? Imagine going down Spit Hill in a car like that. Imagine, like, trying to use this car, little car, as your car. You know, taking it in for a service, getting the tyre changed, going to the petrol station, filling it up. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. And, and then there's the time someone did drive a little tyke's car to work. Uh, it's just, you know... There are some idiots out there, let's face it. Um, it doesn't make sense, does it? It's crazy. The little tyke's car, it has its place. It's good when you're five, but eventually it's got to be replaced. And it's the same with our earthly bodies, right? They'll perish, and they're not going to be fit for the new creation. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 42. Let's have a look. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, it's perishable. It's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now, Paul doesn't mean there's, there's absolutely no honor or power in our earthly bodies, but just that the very greatest honor or power or strength in our current bodies couldn't begin to cope with life in the new creation. I mean, let's face it, our bodies, they're, they're decaying, aren't they? I mean, some of us know this more than others. You know, whether we're more advanced in years or we've experienced times when our bodies have really let us down, many of us know with great clarity that our bodies are in decay. They're wasting away. You know, they don't often work properly. Modern medicine's fantastic. I'm very thankful for it. But not to be too morbid, I mean, in the end, it does just slow down what's coming, slows down the decay. But if you are in Christ, right, if you're a person that trusts in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, then here's the good news. You can have great assurance. You see, when we die, we're going to be raised up with brand new bodies. And hear this, I mean, 
They're never going to get sick. They'll never get tired. They'll never break. They'll never let us down. Can you imagine that? I mean, that hip pain that's bothering you, gone. Those glasses or that hearing aid you're blind or, or deaf without, no, don't need them. That walking stick or cane that you use, throw it on the fire. You don't need it. You'll be running. Those migraines, a thing of the past. That old footy injury, a distant memory. You see, Jesus can do way better than Michelle Bridges and Commando Steve. See, we need new bodies, and here's the good news. We get new bodies because our old ones are just not made for our glorious next life. All right, let's move on to our third and final point. Why this transforms everything. That's a big call, isn't it? Transforms everything. I mean, what does that even mean? This transforms everything. Well, the Christian hope that we have in our future, it transforms how we view life and how we view death. Our hope transforms everything. And that hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a minute the hope that Christians have. But first of all, you know, let me ask a question. What do you reckon our culture, our wider culture, thinks about these things, about what's next? What do you reckon our culture thinks about death? Collectively, how do we view what's happening next? Well, I think we're kind of taught to deny it, or encouraged at least to deny death today, aren't we? I mean, we, we don't want to talk about it. Right? I mean, we, we don't want to talk about it. It's one of the last taboos, isn't it? It's not sex anymore. People are very happy to talk about that all the time. But maybe it's death that you're not supposed to bring up in polite company anymore. And we don't see it very often, do we? We don't see death. We ship off our um, elderly to nursing homes, our sick to hospitals, and our dead to morgues. And unless you work in some, a place like that or something similar you often don't see the reality of death very often, do we? You know, we, we kind of just don't want to deal with it. Let's just forget about it. Maybe let's just deny it's coming. I heard of a hospital in America, only in America, of course. If, if you're an American with us this morning, sorry about this, but teasing Americans, it's, it's a national pastime, don't you reckon? Aussies love teasing Americans, but it's all in good faith. We love you, and it's a sign of affection. Anyway, but I heard of a hospital in America that when uh, referring to someone that has died, say they've experienced a negative patient care outcome. I mean, come on. If you can't talk about death in a hospital, where can you talk about it? It's silly, isn't it? You see, we're more scared of death than ever. You know, that's that's what's leading us to deny it, to kind of, we don't want to talk about it, because we're more scared of death than ever. And why is that? Because we have no idea what happens next. See, many people, they've rejected a belief in God, don't want to hear about it, but that has pretty big consequences. It's kind of like driving a car with no windows. Can you imagine how scary would that be? Driving a car with no windows. I mean, having no idea if you've got to put your foot down on the accelerator or the brake. You see, we have no idea how to live this life because we don't have a window into the next life. If we deny God for driving blind, what's happening next? No idea. Can you imagine driving blind? 
Here's an ad, the uh, New Atheist Movement, stuck on buses and billboards a few years ago. It's a f- few years old now, so you probably would have seen it. There's our friend Richard Dawkins in the bus, the door there. Um, it says, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Seems quite light-hearted, doesn't it? You know, don't worry about anything. Belief in God, that'll make you worry. But hey, atheism, no worries at all. We've got no worries. Really? Is that really true? Or is this worldview actually contributing to the incredible hopelessness that is gripping so many? You see, people like Richard Dawkins, he's a real promoter of this new atheist movement, right? They're very quick to accuse us of believing in fairy tales, but they don't want to, they're hesitant, I reckon, to embrace the reality of their own worldview. They don't have the guts to come out and say, erasing God erases hope. If you take away God, you take away meaning and purpose and hope. What do you think happens next? You see, you can try and deny death, but when you're forced to deal with the reality of the only sure thing in life, what do you think will happen? Well, you'll be gripped with fear, and what do you think that leads to? Hopelessness. Now, maybe you can try and think about death more nicely. Uh, there was a film came out quite a few years ago called The Lion King, and there was a song as part of the soundtrack written by Elton John called The Circle of Life. Very famous song. It's a great song. Many of you guys would know it. And uh, people think, oh, that's so lovely. The circle of life. You know, it's when we die, we go into the, you know, the ground to nurture the soil for our children. And when, when our children die, they go into the ground and nurture the soil for their children and so on and so on for future generations. Isn't that lovely? All part of the circle of life. Lovely? It's horrible. I mean, imagine thinking that you and everyone you've ever loved will one day be fertilizer. That's it. Manure. That's what you've got ahead of you. Oh, what hope. It's terrible, isn't it? You see, Christians, we don't deny death. You know, we don't want to talk about it. Let's stick our head in the sand. Let's forget about it. And nor are we really gripped with fear when we're confronted with death, although it's scary, sure. And nor do we want to befriend it, befriend death. Oh, it's just part of the circle of life. Give me a break. No. See, we hate death, right? Christians hate it. It is an enemy. It's a result of sin. It's part of the curse. It's not meant to be this way. Death is an enemy and it still has a sting, doesn't it? It hurts. See, the Christian faith will never make you deny what you're going through. It'll never make you deny reality. You know, put on a happy face. No. The Christian faith will never, you know, try and extract you from what you're really feeling. No way. See, Paul is fully aware in this passage that death still has a sting. It's not natural. And I reckon no matter who you are, Christian or not, you get a sense that this is not all there is. We're supposed to cry out when we see death. It's not meant to be this way. Because we want to last, don't we? We want love to last. We don't want to be manure. We don't want to just fade away. We don't want to be a wave crashing on the shore and then that's it. We're gone. Cease to exist. See, we see tragedy and we see death and we're supposed to cry out, Because it stinks. Death sucks. We view death as an enemy. But here's the really important distinction. An enemy, but a defeated enemy. 
Let's have a look at verse 54. Paul says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are powerful words. Paul is saying, one day, that'll completely come true. Sigmund Freud, the um, founder of psychiatry, wrote, and finally there is the painful riddle of death, for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor probably ever will be. Freud, you're wrong. See, for the Christian, life beyond the grave, it's not a riddle that can't be worked out, it's not a disease that can't be cured. It's not a mystery that no one knows about. It's not a leap into some giant black hole. No. Why? Because of the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our hope, you know, the, the, the way the Bible uses hope, it's not like we use it today. We use hope kind of like, oh, I hope lunch is good after the service. I hope I get something nice for Christmas. I hope this guy finishes his sermon pretty soon. Not like that, not this kind of flimsy I hope, no. The Bible uses the word hope, meaning we can have sure certainty in the promises of God. Sure certainty in the promises of God. Our hope is solid and sure. Why? Because it's grounded in not what we do. Thank you, Jesus. Not on how we perform, not on how many sort of good things we do versus how many bad things, no. It's based on the solid rock, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we use this hope to look at our whole lives, right? It transforms how we view everything. It's, it's kind of like an amazing set of glasses, a, a new set of amazing set of glasses. It affects how we view everything. We put them on and we see things differently. Take them off without the glasses. You know, we, we look at our earthly bodies. They're growing older. They're decaying. They're letting us down. But we put on these, these, these amazing new set of glasses of Christian hope and we see the promise of our glorious new bodies. That's the truth. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Thank you. Amen. We look at, we take the glasses off and we look at what our culture would have us spend our time and our energy and our money on like up, upgrading our houses, upgrading our cars, our wardrobes. But we put on these glasses of hope and we see, oh, that's going to fade. It's going to fade. Why invest so much in it? It's all going to fade. Do you believe that? You know, we, we, we take these glasses off and, and we look at death through the, through the eyes of, of secularism and atheism and what do we see? Hopelessness. A great desolate nothingness. But we put on these great amazing glasses of the Christian hope and we see death not as the end, but the doorway into our eternity. The Christian hope transforms everything because of the resurrection. Do you believe it? Uh, uh, my wife and I used to live in the States for quite a while, for about four years, and uh, a lovely Christian uh, young woman that we know over there, we got to spend some time with her on the road. She was part of one of the crews of the band. And uh, we just found out a couple of months ago that she's just lost her husband. Her husband's died. Um, totally out of the blue, his heart just stopped beating. 
And it's really, really tragic. I mean, it's so sad. Uh, She's been writing about her experience. I'm not sure I could do that, but she's been writing and sharing what she's going through. And she's been very real. You know, she isn't in denial about the pain she's going through. I mean, she's got these three young boys and she's really in pain. She really misses her husband. But she's also choosing to remember God's promises at this time. She's clinging and clinging onto this hope that she has in Jesus. It's real to her. She's putting on these glasses of hope and she's seeing her husband's death, not as the end, that's it, but the beginning of his eternity. Now, my wife and I, we've been reading her updates uh, through tears and um, I've been really challenged. I've got to admit to you, I've been really challenged. Do I believe this? Could I say these things? Do I believe it like she does? If that happened to me, could I say that? Do I have sure certainty in the promises of God? She's challenged me to let this hope, not just speak about it like I am now, but actually live it. Let it transform how I view everything, even death. We're in, in a minute, Burundi Day is going to come out and we're, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs. And it has these words, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? And I think we're supposed to sing these words with tears in our eyes and through gritted teeth. Because death is an enemy. It's painful. But it is not the end. It's not the end because Jesus defeated death by his death and resurrection. See, he did it so you and I, we don't have to experience death as the end. No. And that's the hope that transforms everything. Death is no longer the executioner that brings the end. No. But the gardener who buries us into the ground so we can become something more beautiful. That's the future that we have. That is our hope. Let me ask, do you believe that this morning? Do you trust in that hope? Has it affected your mind and your heart and your will? Does it change how you view everything, even death? Friends, let's believe it. And let's allow this hope to transform everything. Let's pray, hey? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have. It's not a hope, a flimsy hope, but it's a strong, strong sense of expectation that when we leave this earth, we'll be given brand new bodies and we will experience a resurrection. And we thank you that is based on the sure hope that we have in Jesus' resurrection. And we thank you for that. Please apply this to our hearts and our minds, particularly to anyone who now is grieving loss or has experienced sickness and is faced themselves with the coming reality of their own death. Please encourage us with the life that we have to come. Amen. Amen. We're now going to sing. The band's going to come out. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs, Christ is Risen. Let's stand and sing.